Oblate School of Theology is a Catholic graduate school that provides theological education for the Church's mission and ministry in the world. Inspired by the charism of the missionary Oblates of Mary Immaculate, Oblate School of Theology educates, forms, and renews men and women to preach the gospel to the most abandoned. OST prepares Catholic priests, deacons, seminarians, non-Catholic clergy, women religious, and lay ministers through the integration of pastoral experience and theological study. Visit ost.edu to learn more about program options. ost.edu. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we're talking about a big step in the reform of Vatican finance. Pope Francis has issued new guidelines for who gets contracts to work with the Vatican, which is an area that has been plagued by corruption. Then we'll talk about the Pope's Pentecost message and connect it with racial justice protests happening across the United States. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New York, Jerry. Good afternoon from Rome, Colleen. But today it's the Feast of the Republic. It's, so it's a big holiday here in Italy. And it marks also the end of almost three months of lockdown because tomorrow already they have lifted some of the areas of lockdown. But tomorrow all the areas that have been under lockdown will be freed. And so then we're into the second phase, which is, of course, a very delicate phase. And people are hoping there won't be a second wave of this virus. Mm -hmm. The virus is almost under control in the whole country. The only part that's not fully controlled yet, but is well on the way, is the north of Italy. That's amazing. I mean, New York is just looking at entering its first phase of reopening, so some manufacturing and construction, uh, a week from yesterday, so on Monday, June 9th. So, Jerry, let's get into our first story. Um, Pope Francis took a big step in his ongoing reform of Vatican finance on Monday, yesterday, June 1st, uh, by putting in place this new system for overseeing who gets contracts to work with the Vatican. This is a long time coming. They've been working on this for like four years um, and I know contract reform may not seem very exciting to our listeners, but don't turn off the show. We're going to tell you why this is a big step. You know, it's it's really um, changing the system rather than focusing primarily on punishing wrongdoing in Vatican finance. So this is more preventative than reactive. It, it marks a big transformation in the system. Um, so, Jerry, let's talk about why this area needed reform. What What's going on with Vatican contracts right now that they needed this kind of change? Well, you've got to first of all understand the Vatican in the broad term. It consists of two parts. You have what they call the Holy See, the Roman Curia, all the offices connected with that. That's one part. And the other is the Vatican city-state, which is like any state. It's got... Uh, gardens, it, it's got fire brigade, it's got police, it's got uh, the museums, of course, and uh, and it's got all these tourists, or it, it had the tourists, uh, the visitors. And so the Vatican has a lot of buildings all around St. Peter's, down the Via della Conciliazione, but also across the city. And then the, the Holy See has also got the nunciatures around the world, the Vatican embassies. So, uh, Obviously, to run any operation, and here you're talking about a small state, uh, you have to, you need contractors for various things. It may be for simply building or refurbishing or restructuring. It may be uh, contracts for 
such things as uh, printing or uh, many things you can think of, you know, plumbing, electricity, you, you, you name it. But uh, the Vatican, of course, has got all these great art treasures and historical places, and St. Peter's Basilica, the basilicas across the city. And so the contracts for jobs that have to be done are very important because they can involve a lot of money. So what was wrong with them? Well, it was an area where there was, first of all, not transparency. Secondly, there was uh, quite a bit of room for corruption, and there was corruption. And thirdly, there was money was being wasted. You know, in other words, uh, let me take, say, one Vatican office, I won't name it, uh, wanted to restructure the whole office. So you have to get in painters, decorators, you've got to get in architects, you've got to get in engineers and a whole lot. Who, who chooses these people? Well, up to now, the local office did. What used to happen many times was that people would, uh, contractors and such like people who are interested in getting contracts from for one thing or another, it could be many different types of contracts, uh, would become very friendly with some of the Vatican officials. And so uh, they would cozy up to them. They may offer them, you know, invite them out for lunch, uh, dinner, you know, ma- many ways of uh, gaining a person's favor. And then uh, this group may well get the contract. Whether it was the best contract on the market, big question mark. Whether it was the cheapest, big question mark. Whether there was sufficient uh, control over it, big question mark. So there was a tendency for like nepotism, right? This this always giving the same companies contracts. There was obviously some uh, more plain corruption when you had people giving contracts to like their family members, for example. But um, I don't know. I, I wonder, you know, it seems like at least some of the tasks that are contracted out in in Vatican City especially might be really specialized when you're dealing with these like art and treasures, uh, the things that you mentioned. And and I, I wonder, like, why would they want to break out of that limited circle of companies? Like, I can see an argument for saying, well, we want to work with people that we trust. What has happened now is the Pope says, and he had a big uh, four-year team working on this, We've got a limited amount of money. The faithful around the world give money to the church. They want to be sure that this is used well without any waste. Francis, remember when he became Pope soon after, one time in in the evening he went down one big corridor and he saw all the lights on and he kept switching them off. He said, you know, this would keep, uh, what we spend on electricity would keep a a parish going for for a whole year back in Buenos Aires. And he, he's, he's been very, very attentive to not wasting money. So he thinks that having more competition uh, for for the deals would would drive down prices, which seems like it would be especially important now that, that money is so tight in the Vatican. So let's get into uh, this reform and how it works. Basically, we're, we've the Vatican has created a centralized control for approving all contracts for all of these different entities connected to the Holy See. Um, so let's take an example, because those are always easier to understand. Let's say that like the Holy See Press Office wanted to replace those gray padded walls that we always see in our, our press conferences, um, and they need a contractor to do that. So will they already have to create a budget that we know. Uh, they have to produce a budget by October 31st of this year. So let's say they've got in their budget, it's been approved. What next? How do they get bids under this new system? 
Well, the budget has to be approved centrally. Mm -hmm. So it's not enough for the head of the Vatican Communications and the, and the that group to approve the their their budget. They submit a, a budget. Mm -hmm. This will be scrutinized in the light of all the other requests that are coming in from other offices. And then it will be decided, first of all, is this a necessary job? Does it have to be done this year? If the answer to that question, and I example you cite, I would say the answer is no. Right. Take another example. Say they want all new computers, which is a more likely uh, possibility. Uh, they will say, well, then, uh, how, how many do you need? Do you really need 10? Can you not work with five? And then they will say, let's put out that we're looking for contractors for this. And they will then look at the different groups that would offer to supply the computers. Right. Now they're going to have a select group, right? A special list. So how do you get on the list? Well, first of all, the, the list, there are certain requirements. You will not be on the list and you will not get the contract if you have a number of things against you. I mean, if you've been involved in corruption, if you've been in fraud, if you're insolvent. But also, very interesting, the Vatican put in there that if you exploit people, if you exploit children, if you have engaged in human trafficking or exploitation of people. Secondly, if you're not respecting your tax obligations in the country where you're resident or incorporated, and if you're not respecting the social security obligations there. So uh, people who will have workers and they're not uh, paying their social security have no chance of getting a contract. Mm -hmm. So they want to make sure that it's not just that you're respecting laws, but also there, there are some ethical considerations here for what kind of companies they want to work with. Yes. And the ethical considerations are in the social doctrine of the church. Mm -hmm. The social doctrine of the church has often been described as the church's great best-kept secret. Here under Pope Francis, it's coming into the fore. And in fact, uh, the, this will work across the board because, for example, in, say the nunciature in Washington needs, uh, I don't know, restructuring or something, and they want to give contracts. Uh, th this will have to be approved by these standards from now on, from 30 days' time, so the 1st of July. Because previously, each each office was kind of able to make these decisions for itself. This is the first time that they're going to have this kind of centralized control. And I thought it was interesting, you pointed out in your story, that this puts the Vatican in line with the UN's Convention Against Corruption, too. Yes. I mean, long before he became a bishop, while he was a Jesuit way back in the 1980s, Francis was writing against corruption. And he, it's been a late motif of his whole pontificate. We must fight against corruption. And corruption takes many different forms. It may take the form of, you know, you take the nuncio out, you provide him with a car, you give him a holiday home or a bishop or whatever, and you ingratiate yourself with him. That's corruption. If the goal is to, uh, if you have other goals behind it, to get contracts. And so I think uh, what we are seeing now is we're seeing Francis is beginning to close the loopholes on where money is wasted, first of all, because if you don't have competing contractors, 
and you just take the one you've taken last year and the last 10 years, you're going to get ripped off. And so Francis says, you know, we, we, they're going to keep a, uh, every six months the Secretariat of the Economy, the Dicastery, the Department for, for the Finances of the Vatican, is going to keep a list on the costs and prices of different contractors, the fees of professionals like, say, architects or engineers or lawyers, etc. And so they will be able to compare what is being offered with the market price. This is always the question when new guidelines come out of the Vatican, but how are they going to enforce it? They're going to enforce it because they're going to set up a group within the Vatican, some uh, experts from within the Vatican and some outside people that they will bring in at the time of the awarding of the contract uh, with expertise in the field, but people who have no links to those who are making the bids. This is fundamental. All of this becomes Vatican law and it applies to all of the Vatican entities. So the giving of a contract is legally binding and also subject to the requirements of the law. And a failure to respect the law in this situation will open the way to prosecution. The Pope has appointed as the president of the Vatican's tribunal, that's the top head of the Vatican's tribunal, uh, an Italian magistrate who was on the brink of retirement, but who had been the chief prosecutor in Rome, who gained fame for his anti-mafia uh, work, and uh, especially in, in Rome itself. So he's a man who knows a lot about money laundering, about all these, these mafia ways of operating. And Pope has given him a free hand. He has got a law, and he's got to follow through. You know, before Francis was elected, in the pre-conclave meetings, many cardinals were really upset at how Vatican money was being spent. Books had been published by an Italian journalist, Nuzzi, which came out also in English, about the, how the Vatican money was being misused, how people were taking advantage in one way or another. And the cardinals were very angry. And they say, we want the finances cleaned up. Now, Francis is on the threshold of closing that request. What's next for him? The next thing is to bring in the commission. He set up a commission and he's waiting for their final feedback to control the investments that the Vatican makes. We spoke some time back about the investments that were made in London properties, but there were other, there have been others. And so the final thing is to gain total control over the investments and have them closely monitored so we never have again the uh, kind of situation you've had in London where middlemen, agents made a lot of money, the Vatican lost, and the investment, uh, the money given by the faithful was used badly by, by this. So when this will be approved, and it will come before the end of the year, I understand, Francis will have effectively closed all the loopholes, and we'll have substantially finished the reform of the Vatican finances. All right, Jerry. Well, thanks for explaining all of that. Uh, we will keep our listeners up to date on what happens next in Vatican finance reform uh, with putting in place these systems, but also with trying to enforce them. We'll talk about all of that here on Inside the Vatican, and I will also link to your story in the show notes.
oggi celebriamo la grande festa di Pentecoste nel ricordo dell'effusione dello Spirito Santo sulla prima comunità cristiana. Our second story this past Sunday was Pentecost, which Pope Francis celebrated at a mass with about 50 people social distancing in St. Peter's Basilica. Um, in that mass, Francis used his homily to call for unity in the church, and he connected that to a call for unity in the world as the world continues to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Jerry, you tuned in. I was wondering what your main takeaways were from what Francis said. Well, he is obviously very concerned about what's happening because of the pandemic. On the Saturday, that's before the, his homily, which you just mentioned, he, he, he wrote a letter to the priests of Rome, and he'd had a lot of feedback from priests about what was happening in their er different areas. And of course, he's getting feedback from around the world as well. So his message was, he, he had one very simple message. He says, you must keep hope alive. He says, you're called to be prophetic, you're called to go out and be with people, not protecting yourself, taking, ignoring the reality about you, but you've got to go out. Francis, from the beginning of his pontificate, he's spoken about a church that goes out, a missionary church, a church that does not stay inside, encircled by fear. And that was the common theme between the letter he wrote on the eve of Pentecost and the, and the homily. He says that the Holy Spirit, the, like the first Christians, he said, we too in this period, we've been locked in our homes, surrounded by fear, but we must go out. Now, he said, there's a new, there's a new moment for going out and for building a different kind of world. Francis is very concerned about the re post-pandemic reality. And he's also saying, he said, This thing has, reminds us that we are one family, that we are brothers and sisters. That is the message we have to go carry out. In Easter, when he gave the homily at Easter, and in his message to this grassroots movements, he, he kept returning to one thing. There's not just one pandemic. There's not just one pandemic. We have the coronavirus. That's one pandemic. But there are other pandemics, and we cannot ignore them. And he says one of them, in, on Pentecost Sunday, he, he gave a message to the charismatic renewal movement or on the eve of Pentecost, uh, saying, we have to deal with the pandemic that is poverty. And I, I think this is, has real relevance here in Europe, but also in what's happening in the United States today. Right. Yeah. I wanted to talk about that with you. You know, it's uh, hard for me not to connect this with the racial justice protests that are happening all over the United States. Um, I actually, as we're recording here, uh, I'm in the Bronx. We have police helicopters still circling from last night. And it's it's Tuesday morning now because our main shopping district was looted last night uh, as part of the protests. And, you know, I don't know. I, I see these things that the Pope is talking about. And it seems like you know, the racism in the United States, the police brutality, all these things that people are crying out against right now uh, are are also things that the Pope would, would call pandemics, probably. Uh, absolutely. He, he, he sees this poverty, which produces so many things, the, the, the racism. He, he sees all these as pandemics that we have chosen not to deal with. And I, I think his Pentecost message was saying, 
you have to go out. You're called, the, the Spirit gives you the courage to go out, to be with your brothers and sisters, and to help them. Right. I've been reflecting a lot on how, you know, the Spirit also inspired, and we see this in the Pentecost story, they all hear each other in their own languages, right? And so you see the Spirit giving them understanding, but also reaching each person where they are and giving them the ability to to listen to each other and to hear and understand each other. And I feel like that's also a gift that, you know, the church should be praying for right now as as we work to overcome the the major divisions and injustices in society. Yes, and Francis is saying uh, to the priests, he says, as a priestly community, we're called to be prophetic and we're called to keep hope alive and active. And he's saying you can't do that by sitting in the inner room in fear. You've got to be out there on the streets. This is basically what Francis is saying. He, he said it in so many different ways throughout his pontificate. And, and remember, he, he went out on the street himself during the pandemic in Rome. Mm-hmm. If uh, if our listeners are looking for ways that we would recommend for the Catholic Church to go out uh, during this time and to be acting in a prophetic role uh, for racial justice in the United States, uh, we have a few pieces up on America's website that I'll link to in the show notes, one by our former colleague Olga Segura and one editorial that we posted yesterday on Monday. Um, Jerry, Pope Francis hasn't commented on the situation in the U.S. yet. Do you think he might? I think the word yet that you said is probably correct. Okay. Uh, Pope Francis realizes that when he speaks, his words have resonance quite across the board. I know for a fact that here they're watching very closely in the Vatican what's happening in the United States. I know for a fact that in today's paper of the Italian Bishop's Conference, front page, it, it had a big, big article on on. Uh, and a lot inside on what's happening in the United States, all the Italian press. So it would not surprise me that in either tomorrow at the public audience or in the coming days that the Pope will say something. Uh, That would not surprise me because he's not a man who sits on the balcony and watches what's happening. He likes to go in. Yeah. Um, So it is possible that our listeners uh, will be hearing this, in fact, after Pope Francis has made a comment. Uh, If that happens, you can find updates on americamagazine.org. Jerry, I think we can wrap up the show right there. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I hope you you have peace and uh, that the other pandemics will be addressed in the States as the Pope requires. All right. Thanks. Inside the Vatican is a production of American Media. This week's episode was produced by Tucker Redding. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I. You can also email us your questions at insidethevatican at americamedia.org. For American Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time. <laughs>